All right, how are we hanging in there? Okay, all right. Give me just a moment. Let me take this in. This is, whether we realize it or not, an eternal moment, right? We only get one crack at this, this moment, this minute, this, these next 30 minutes. Uh, yesterday, we briefly looked at truth. What is truth? And properly defined, truth is that which conforms to reality. But then whose reality? Your reality or my reality? So I'm going to define it a little bit different and say truth is whatever God says is correct. Because he gets a say in the matter. Whatever God says is right is right. Now, if you have a problem with that, we, we can have a conversation. Remember, it's okay to disagree. We can disagree and still be friends. What we don't want to do is throw our arms up in the air, get angry and upset, and remove ourselves from the conversation because the conversation isn't going anywhere. It's been said eternity is very long. And we each have an appointment with death that we are all part of the ultimate statistic and that 10 out of 10 of us will die someday. And what you do today is so important that you're willing to exchange a moment of eternity to do whatever it is you're doing today. And it's going to echo forever. That's a long time. In my preparation for this morning's message, what I wanted to do was what would be something that I would want to sit underneath to equip me to talk to people when I'm out on the streets? So today's message is entitled The Bankruptcy of Atheism. And we're going to look at four different points here. The first point is the knowledge of the atheist. What does the atheist know? And I don't know about you, but there was a point in my life where I was a little bit nervous to come across somebody who was an atheist. Because for some reason, I thought, if you're an atheist, you're like uber intelligent. You're like super smart. But truth be told, atheists are not super smart. Because the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Right? It doesn't say the brilliant biologist has said in his heart, there is no God. Or the mesmerizing mathematician or the scholarly scientist. It says the fool. And we're going to look at that. But point number one, what does the atheist know? In order to answer that question, we need to open up the Bible. As a Christian, it would make sense that when somebody asks us questions, we would go to the Bible as our source of authority to answer questions. Now, as an atheist, they go to their source of authority, whatever that may be. As a Mormon, they're going to go to their source of authority. As a Jehovah's Witness, they're going to go to their source of authority. As a Christian, it would only make sense for me to open up God's Word, the Bible. And in order to be consistent, I need to not contradict myself. I need to open up the Bible and simply tell you what the Bible says. You don't have to agree with that, but it's still true. Remember, Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. So point number one is we're going to look at the knowledge of the atheist. And point number two is the heart of the atheist. I believe the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. That an atheist doesn't want God to exist for the same reason a bank robber doesn't want a police officer to exist. He is running from him. And there's none who seek after God. 
And God actually has to grant repentance that leads to the truth, Peter tells us. And thirdly, we're going to look at the questions of an atheist. When you're out on the street, when you're talking to family or friends who disagree with you, and they may bring up some questions that you can't answer. Well, we're going to kind of quickly go over some of those. And depending on how much time we have, we'll go over as many as we possibly can, and perhaps even take questions from you guys. And then finally, the greatest need of the atheist. What is the greatest need of the atheist? Well, the greatest need that you had in your life as well, to be born again. And Ian Bounds said, unless a man is born again, he's going to wish one day he was never born at all. So in order to answer the first part of my outline, the knowledge of the atheist, let's open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, I'm going to read it. Verses 18 to 23, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. But they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. It is a very popular worldview. Worldview just simply means this is what I believe about the world. This believes, this, these are my beliefs on what's going to happen to me when I die or what's happening to me currently, your worldview. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, that means you believe that Jesus died for your sins. He rose again from the grave and he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us. If you're a Christian, you believe that you need a Savior and Jesus is that Savior. Quite frankly, that is it. That is your world view. If you're an atheist, you do not believe that there is somebody in charge. Well, you do. It's you. You are the one that is in charge. You get to call the shots. There is no right. There is no wrong. There is no good. There is no evil. Things just are. People are just making decisions. It's like two weeds are growing up in a field. Which weed is growing correctly? Neither. They're just growing. One weed is growing that way. One weed is growing that way. They're just growing. And that's what we are. If you're an evolutionist atheist, if you're an atheist, you believe that we've evolved to this point. That's it. So people are making decisions. Somebody believes it's a good thing to fly a plane into a twin tower. Somebody believes it's, it's wrong. They're just decisions. Because if you're an atheist, there is no right or wrong because there's no authoritative figure telling you what is right or wrong. Now, Penn Gillette, the famous magician, he comes along and he says, you Christians, you think that you have the corner on morality. You get to decide what is right and wrong, and we don't. We don't believe we get to decide. We believe God has decided, and morality is a reflection of God. God didn't arbitrarily sit up there one day, millions of years ago, and go, you know what? Lying is, you know, that's not the best idea. Stealing, mm, I don't like that one either. No, the law of God is a reflection of God, of his very character. 
Lying is wrong because God is not a liar. Stealing is wrong because God is not a thief. Adultery is wrong because God is not an adulterer. He's not a covetous individual either. And he, Jesus always did that which pleased the Father, right? So an atheist comes along and says, you know what? I don't believe in God. And I go, well, I understand why you don't. Because you don't want anybody telling you how to live your life. And I understand that. I get it. Nobody telling me what is right and what is wrong. I get to decide. Yet, you cannot escape something that has been given to you, and that is your conscience. You know right from wrong. You know that it is wrong to abuse other people. You know that it is wrong to steal and to lie. But you can't account for why these things are wrong. So if somebody committed adultery on you, if your spouse committed adultery, and if you're an atheist, you'd go, that's wrong, that's evil, I want justice, I'm jealous. But you can't tell me why. I'm not saying you can't count. Two plus two is four, but you can't account for counting. You can't tell me why two plus two is four. Man did not invent the laws of mathematics. Man discovered them. And in the same way, man did not invent the laws of logic, the laws of mathematics, the laws of science. Man merely discovered them because God has been gracious enough to give us those insights. Well, I like to say an atheist is one who uh, is hiding from God doesn't believe that God exists because he doesn't want God to exist. In 2016, there was a poll, and the poll told us that one out of every 10 people claimed to be an atheist, or maybe even a, an agnostic, one who says, you know, I think there is a higher power, but I don't think he, she, it is knowable. One year later in 2017, one out of every four people claimed to be an atheist, a free-thinking skeptic, one who adheres to the tenets of the flying spaghetti monster. Who knows what those statistics are today? But, spoiler alert, there is no such thing as an atheist. An atheist comes along and says, I don't believe in God. And what does God say? I don't believe in atheists. Well, listen, you, if you're a Christian, you're an atheist as well. You believe in all of one God. I believe in zero gods. I believe in one less God than you. There's a lot of people that believe in different types of gods. Which God should I believe in? Our answer is you believe in the God of the Bible. Well, I don't believe in that God. You're an atheist just like me. I just believe in one less God than you do. To which we say, no, we believe those are real gods. Lowercase g's. A small case g. We do believe that they do exist in the sense that people do worship them. But they're not real. They are figments of their imagination, and they are breaking the second of the Ten Commandments, which is to have no graven image. And the first commandment says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And that is a New Testament paraphrase. Look at verse 20 of our text. It says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. The only truth you know is the truth you want to know. You cannot search for truth while you sit in darkness. You cannot raise your fist at God and say God does not exist simply because you don't want God to exist. You see, a humble person will come along and say, God, whatever you want to do is okay with me. My life is yours. And as John Piper once said, 
you do not have your own life. What lies before you is a stewardship from the owner for the owner. Truth, remember, as we said yesterday, is not elastic. It doesn't expire. Milk expires, but truth does not. And in a million years from now, what is going to matter is truth. It's not going to be your fickle opinions or your decisions, or it doesn't matter whether or not the Rams won the Super Bowl. The only thing that matters is what did you do with Jesus Christ? And we need to proclaim it from the mountaintop that God is not on trial. I do not need to prove to you God exists. Oftentimes, an atheist will come to me and say, prove to me God exists. And you know what I say firstly? I can't. What do you mean? Well, I have plenty of evidence and plenty of proof for the existence of God. But because they presuppose there is no God, I cannot give them enough evidence or enough proof to prove them that God exists. I mean, how much evidence can I give to them when the God of the Bible says that they already know that God exists because his invisible attributes are clearly seen so that they're without excuse? Now, they'll say, you know, Prove to me that God is real by uh, performing a miracle right here, right now. Remember, an atheist doesn't believe that miracles exist. So if I were to perform a miracle, and what I usually do is I perform a little sleight of hand trick, because I love little sleight of hand tricks. And I'll say, there's your miracle. And they will say, that wasn't a miracle. And I'll say, how was it done? They go, oh, I, I don't know how it was done. I go, so it was a miracle. They go, no, 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 that wasn't a miracle some sort of sleight of hand, black magic. I have no idea what you did, but that was not a miracle. Why would they say that? Because they already presuppose miracles and the supernatural don't exist. I just gave them evidence of a miracle, and you and I know that it wasn't a miracle, and so do they, but they can't account for what just happened. And what happens is they put God on trial, and they become God and judge and jury. And they decide whether or not any evidence I give to them is admissible in the courtroom of their mind. And they say, there is no God. There can't be a God. And they have their reasons for doing so. And we're going to address some of those here today. But concerning the knowledge of the atheist, in Proverbs 9.10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is his delight. There's none who seek after God. They're not waiting for this great amount of evidence and proof for the existence of God. I mean, I was over at Mount Rushmore, and I looked up at Mount Rushmore, and I go, wow, that is an amazing thing that evolved. These people next to me said, what, what do you mean? I go, look at these presidents. How did that happen? It evolved. They're all, you're off your rocker. I go, what, what do you mean? I go, there's... It's obvious that there was an architect and a designer, a sculptor to this masterpiece that we're staring at. And I said, do you believe in God? Oh, no, there is no God. And I go, wait a minute. We're looking at rock eyeballs, and yet your eyeball evolved. Your eyeball that has 137 million light-sensitive cells, instantaneous reproduction, wide-angle lens, it evolved. Okay, and I'm the far-fetched one. We're talking about the heartbeat that can survive off eating donuts for 70 years. Give me a machine that can do that. 
See, so I can give you plenty of evidence and plenty of proof, but at the end of the day, if you don't want God to exist, well, then you can explain him away. Well, we know that an atheist knows that God exists. So I don't hang out in that realm of that knowledge for too long. Next is the heart of the atheist. Remember, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And allow me to give you some self-refuting statements, because if you're an atheist, you're also what is known as a relativist, right? A relativist is that philosophical position, big, ugly, weird words, that simply means there's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. There's no sacred or secular. There's no political system that is right. There's no religion that is right. There's no good decisions. There's no bad decisions. Things just are what they are. And they'll come along and they'll say this, you know what, there are so many religions out there and you claim to be right. Listen, nobody's right. More than 7 billion people on this planet, nobody's right. I go, wait a minute. You say that nobody's right? Are you right that nobody's right? Because if you are right, that nobody's right, well, then you're wrong about nobody being right because you claim to be right. And that's not right, right? See, and it's, it's like this philosophical, logical kung fu that they don't want to put themselves underneath the scrutiny to try to figure out their own position. They don't argue for their position. It's just assumed. Last night, we looked at somebody who says, you know, there's no such thing as truth. To which we say, is that true? Remember? Is it true that there's no such thing as truth? Because you're making a truth claim. And that's just not right. So the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You can't know anything for sure. Are you sure about that? Are you sure we can't know anything for sure? You see, this is the problem that they have. Or they'll come along and say, you Christians are so hypocritical. Like, well, what's wrong with hypocrisy within your worldview? Think about that for a moment. We're going to get into that with one of the most common objections uh, that, that are answered uh, at the end here. There's no such thing as absolute truth. Nobody's right. Listen, R.C. Sproul, he said, as the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, so the denial of God is the height of foolishness. Because that's what it would take to look at your DNA, the deoxyribonucleic acid, and be able to say, it evolved. That's lunacy. That is crazy. I often will ask atheists, are there moral absolutes? And what I mean by that is, is there ever something that is morally wrong? Like, can I bash in somebody's head for fun? Would that be morally right? Would that be morally wrong? Or is that just, it is what it is? And occasionally, I'll come across an atheist that'll say, you know what? I don't know if it's morally wrong if I can bash in somebody's head for fun. They don't need an argument. They need a therapist. Because it is not difficult to come to the conclusion that it is wrong to harm other people. I was out in Huntington Beach, and I was open-air preaching, and I was having a, a really good conversation with another atheist. We were getting along just fine. And then somebody comes along, and they said, you know what? 
there is no such thing as logic. And I go, did you logically come to that conclusion? They said, well, no, there is no such thing as logic. And I said, oh, really? So the green chair flies north when the time is purple. He goes, what? I go, exactly. So you do believe in logic. See, we take a lot of things for granted. We just don't think through the things that we believe. Paul Little said, know what you believe, but know why you believe what you believe. We need to not just have a conviction of what we believe, right? Because man has been swallowing nonsense since the beginning of time. The only thing that matters is truth. Jesus said the truth will set you free. Wallace, David Foster Wallace came along and he said, yeah, the truth will set you free, but not until it's finished with you. So we need to decide how much truth we can handle. And some people want to walk away from the truth. The way that Pontius Pilate did with Jesus, as we saw last night. What is truth? I can't handle this conversation. So we go our way. You can't do that with Jesus. Remember, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Moving along, because we don't have a lot of time, the questions from an atheist. What are some of the most common questions that I get from an atheist when I'm out on the street with our podcast. If you listen to podcasts, feel free to look up our podcast. There's four of us, remember. It's called the Living Waters Podcast. And right now it's number four in the world under religion and spiritual uh, podcasts. God's doing a really neat work called the Living Waters Podcast. If you watch television, which we typically don't, I've never seen one episode of my own television show, but it's called The Way of the Master. And you can look it up. And what we basically do is we go out onto the streets and we engage in conversation with people. And we talk about their worldview because, remember, we're not ashamed of our worldview. Christianity is intelligent. So the mind of the atheist is at enmity with the mind of God. James 3 tells us the wisdom that is from above is first pure. When we talk to atheists or Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or whoever it may be, we must remember, but by God's grace, there goes us. We're not in an argument with them. They're not our enemy. We can be calm, cool, collected. We can relax. When the question is first asked, my first response typically is, why do you ask? Of all the questions that you could have asked. You honed in on that one question. Why? I'm curious. And that causes them to think. Questions are good because it causes critical thinking. Sometimes people don't even know the questions that they ask or they didn't say the question correctly. So we look at that first question. There are so many hypocrites in the world. I would not want to be part of the church. First, I have to take note that Jesus never said to follow my people. He said to follow me. And of course, there are pretenders all over the place. I can put on a Lakers uniform, go out onto the court, but I'm still not a Laker. And I would take it a step further. Not only are there a lot of hypocrites in the church, but there really are a lot of hypocrites behind the pulpit that don't practice what they preach. But that doesn't mean God doesn't exist. That just means there's pretenders in the world. Follow Jesus. But isn't it interesting to note that the only person who could possibly be a hypocrite is somebody with moral values. So an atheist could never be a hypocrite if he never sets up a value system. 
If somebody says, you know what? Rape is neither right nor wrong. Well, then they can never be a hypocrite when they do that or don't do that. So follow Jesus. Imitate Jesus. Draw near to Jesus. That is the answer. So moving along, why do bad things happen to good people? You ever wonder that? Why do bad things happen to good people? First of all, what does that question assume? That there's good people. But in reality, what does the Bible say? Remember, our source of authority. The Bible says, there is none good, no, not one. We're asking the wrong question, according to Bodhi Bauckham. It's not why do bad things happen to good people, but why do good things happen to bad people? Why didn't God kill me in my sleep for the thoughts that I had against him and humanity last night? How gracious and how kind God is to allow me to continue to live. Another apologist in answering the question, why do bad things happen to good people? His response was, well, that only happened once, and he volunteered. His name was Jesus. That bad thing was actually a good thing for you and I, because we would not be sitting here listening to this had it not been for that bad thing to happen to that good person. Remember the rich young ruler? He came to Jesus and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what was Jesus's response? Why do you call me good? There's none good, but one that is God. He was correcting his understanding of what good was, and he was revealing himself as the only one who was good. I love that. Here is a, uh, a question that is a, maybe a little bit difficult to answer. It's an easy answer, but it's difficult to accept. What will happen to the person who never hears about Jesus? They live in the 1040 window of the world. No missionaries ever made their way in there or some remote country where they've never even heard the name Jesus. First of all, we must remember, nobody's without excuse with God's existence because God has revealed himself to everybody through their conscience and through creation, the two C's, the conscience and creation. Everybody has general revelation. What they need is special, specific revelation. So this is where missionaries do come in. This is why it is important to go to the highways, byways, and the gutterways and compel people to come. If there was a way to get to heaven and not go through Jesus Christ, then Jesus died in vain. If Jesus did not rise again from the dead, then our faith is in vain. That's what scripture tells us. If there was a way to get to heaven and not go through Jesus Christ, then we don't send missionaries to these remote parts of the world. We send general contractors who can build a very large wall around these villages, hoping that a missionary does not go in there, shares the gospel, and now they're accountable. No, by virtue of the fact that they are accountable, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, there is an urgency. We send missionaries. And then I'll tell them, listen, if you're so concerned 
about these people who have never heard about Jesus, then go tell them. But the truth of the matter is, you do know yourself. You have heard the truth. What is your response to what I'm saying? So there is that question. Somebody asked me, could you be wrong about Christianity being true and God being real? And you can look up the video. I was at a university in Pennsylvania. And somebody said, what would it take to convince you that uh, what you believe is wrong? And I said, sir, what would it take to convince you that two plus two is five? He said, well, if you present the evidence. And I said, you're open to two plus two being five. What would it take to convince you that uh, your parents are aliens? He says, well, that seems a little far-fetched. But uh, if you could present the evidence, I said, sir, don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out. When you find truth, lock the vault. Be open to conversation. But remember, the truth is what sets people free. I'm looking at the time, and I have one minute left, and I've got some great questions here, but I don't have time to go through all of them. Please hit me up if you have questions. Let's go to the final point the greatest need of the atheist. If the first point is, what is the knowledge of the atheist? He knows that God exists. Romans 1, always go there. And number two, the heart of the atheist. Remember, the problem of the heart is the heart of the problem. And number three, the questions of an atheist. They're really not that difficult to answer these questions. Let me give you a website, gotquestions.org. You can type in really almost any question you have, and they're answered right there. Or you can go to my website, livingwaters.com. There's a lot of questions there as well. Finally, the greatest need of the atheist, it's to get born again. What they need is have their eyes opened to the truth. They need God to forgive them of their sins the way our sins were forgiven. So when you engage in a dialogue, in a debate, when you're going back and forth, when you answer that question, you tell them, it's my turn. And then you go through the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. For the Jew first and then the Gentile. Why the Jew first? It just happened to go to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Stick to their conscience, which is the use of the law to bring the knowledge of sin. Get to the gospel, the life, death, burial, resurrection of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you will see the eyes being opened because it is still the desire of Jesus Christ to seek and save that which is lost. Before I became a Christian, I believed in evolution. I was pro-choice. I would have been for whatever it is was the cool thing at the time some 31 years ago. And when I became a Christian, there was a paradigm shift. And everything else fell into order. And this is the text. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. Amen? I wish I could just go on and on and on with you. A lot of you giving me that Australian wave. You're so polite. Thank you. Tonight, we are going to look at the most common objection that will hit us when we're out on the street, and that is, where is God when bad things happen? If God is loving and all-powerful, then wouldn't he want to get rid of all the evil and the suffering in the world? Isn't there needless suffering happening? What is going on? What is happening? I'm reminded of the man who approached his pastor and he said, where was God when my child died? And the pastor responded, the same place he was at when his son died. 
He was sitting on his throne. He was ruling and his reigning. He wasn't pacing back and forth. And there really is a reason for the things that we go through. And we're going to learn about that tonight. Thank you so much. Let's close in prayer and then you're dismissed. Father, thank you for your word and the simplicity of complex subjects. We ask that as we go about our day, that you would be glorified. May our conversation be enlightening. May it be thought-provoking. May you do whatever you need to do to receive the greatest amount of glory due to your name. For worthy is the lamb to receive the reward of his suffering. Thank you for these dear people that have gathered here and for the people, God, that are sitting on the outskirts, uh, just theologically, emotionally, that are not engaged with the things that are being said. God, would you help them to redeem this time themselves? Would you draw near to them, open up their eyes to the truth, convict them of sin, judgment, and righteousness, and do not allow them to leave this place without being born again? We ask this based upon solely the merits of Jesus Christ, and we thank you in advance. Amen.